Look at those bezels. I don't have iPads with bezels. But that's that's the dream right there. What would you are they called S are they called S pads? Or T pads? called pads. Star Trek pads or Trek pads. I think they're just called pads. I don't like that. It needs a prefix letter. We have no uh no follow up from the previous episode. We're actually recording uh, a week after um the previous episode went out, uh, or actually a couple of days, and we usually record about a week and a half after. So um, this episode will be out probably uh, at the, the usual two-week rate, and uh, if any news that we talk about next um, is, is late or out of date, then uh, we apologize, I guess. <laughs> Public service announcement. Yeah. We apologize for any incorrect or fake news. Oh, fake, fake news! Exactly. We only have the information we have right now. We're not part of the future. <laughs> we do, we do not know what we do not know. We have to record in the past, and that's just how it is. So, um, I mean, if we did this show live, then we could we could actually be really up to date at the time of recording. But we're even like a couple of days behind right now. But I'm babbling. So, we're going to talk about uh, the Facebook data privacy certificate stuff that um, happened recently, where. Uh, it turned out that Facebook were asking teenagers to install a certificate on their device and they were paid like, I think it was like $20 a month or something where they would, um, all their data would essentially be sent up through uh, a Facebook VPN and everything was able to be, you know, mined and, and that is obviously against Apple's rules. And this got kind of leaked. Um, it must've been going for a while. I don't actually know any details about how long it was happening for. Um, and eventually, basically, uh, to summarize, Apple found out and disabled their, you know, their enterprise certificate, which is the certificate that they were installing. Um, and this then caused uh, all of their internal apps, including their lunch menu app, uh, to stop working. Now, I don't have too much to say about this, really. I, I, I know, Jules, I'm, I'm kind of hoping you do. Well, so I think. I think you guys are probably on a similar page to me in terms of Facebook, but um, I'm I'm kind of uh, less impressed by everything I find out about them. Like every time a little bit of news comes out and um, you know, seeing as they allow advertisements that promote genocide and stuff like that, having a, Mm -hmm. um, having an application that basically tracks, everything that a user does uh is kind of yes it's it's bad but at the same time it kind of doesn't surprise me Mm -hmm. um the thing about the the facebook research app in particular is that um they previously tried to put it through the app store um and of course it because of the way that it it functions it, it goes against apple's um yeah terms of use now you can get around this uh for your own um employees if you need to or uh, or if you just want to run some tests by using these enterprise certificates um but they're not for the public to use and that's the real problem here is that um facebook used the internal application distribution mm. method to distribute applications to end users so yeah. deliberately bypassing um test flight deliberately bypassing the app store uh, and this particular applica- application uh, also included a root certificate, which meant that all encrypted traffic uh, could go through Facebook. So they could actually see 
everything that the phone uh, is doing um through this through this vpn essentially mm-hmm. um and, and it's the the kind of the impressive thing here is that um of course um you know, facebook say it's it's not stealing they're not stealing the data because obviously the users have agreed to it and um that a small amount of the of the people are um teens but then that means that they are actually I, I, it's my understanding that that means a small amount of the users that they had are not within the correct age to agree to stuff like that right. in terms of Facebook. They, they're still aiming it to towards young people. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also very common, uh, very commonly known that a lot of uh, the users on Facebook that claim to be 13 years old actually aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of kids use Facebook that way and they play, you know, games through Facebook using other people's cards and all these kind of things. So we we know that Facebook turned a blind eye to that kind of thing deliberately. If a user is under age and using their parents' credit card, they don't care because mm-hmm. they're getting paid. And I am sure it's the same thing with this um the the so-called Facebook research app which uh, by research means let's track absolutely everything and get a, a, t- a ton of uh, metrics. But for a company like Facebook, like this doesn't this doesn't surprise me yeah. at all. Then they they I think they started on shaky grounds and they've continued mm-hmm. those those shaky grounds. And it's like I think people are just kind of coming around to it now in the same way that people started to come around to um Google as well. Uh that, you know, fundamentally they're about tracking users uh and mm-hmm. selling adverts that's yeah. that's what they that's what they do that's not necessarily a bad thing though like like that what they do that they are selling adverts or because at the end of the day so i like the services that they offer are not free right like yeah they they have to pay the bills they have to pay for the like that and this is i think what mark zuckerberg is trying to say to people is like hey you know, we don't sell your data, but you know, it's not it's not a free service kind of thing. But I mean, it's a bit of a weird one because he's kind of saying we don't sell your data, even though he kind of is selling your data. Yeah, I mean, they are, aren't they? It's a bit. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a weird one because because he's trying to say no, we're not. But actually, demographic information is te- me- is metadata about you. So you know, but and where you live and all those kind of things are used to target you. So. And mm. and the other kind of social connections and uh, people people agree to this stuff without with kind of very little um, consideration, you know, very little understanding about about what's actually happening here. I mean, for example, uh, I was typing in a message to someone. I don't use Facebook very often. I don't have the application on my phone anymore, um, but I do still have an account. Uh, and mm-hmm. while I uh, have kind of a, a plan to, um you know, exit Facebook at some point. It's not something that I can do. Uh, certainly not this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, I, I did a typo when I was typing in a message and I literally typed in two letters, which were, uh, you know, wrong, uh, for the, for the word that I was trying to type. And but it auto completed, uh, to someone who I don't know, um, who is a friend of a friend and it, and it offered me to tag them, including 
you know, a picture of their face uh, and mm. a child and, you know, all these kind of things get, get uh, you know, put into my eyeballs without that person's permission. But the problem is that they did give their permission because they use Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. But but why am I seeing this person's face, this person's real name, just because I mistyped something? But they're on your friends list, right? They're on no. your friend. They're not on your friends list. No. Friend of friends. Interesting. But the problem is that you get this kind of thing all the time. Information that that a user thinks that they're sharing with someone else is actually being shared it, it, with a with a wider network. And the people who see this are the people who the Facebook algorithm is is thinks that you might want to interact with so it's it's kind of um waiting the kind of random uh actions that used to happen you know when you would go to a bar or meet people and hang out whatever Mm. you get these kind of strange social interactions it's deliberately waiting them based on things like the things that you're interested in so that if if you're interested in genocide and i'm interested in genocide that you know we can meet up and chat about it on facebook it's great I actually had, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about this and I actually had a bit of a moment where I was like, right, I'm going through all of the settings on Facebook. And one of them is like privacy and information sharing. So disabled things like location, they can never have location information. They can never have my camera, for example. But also the notifications, like they're actually kind of advanced where you've got so many different things you get notifications for and they're all now disabled um, apart from certain things that I will only accept pull, uh, push Uh, notifications for which is really annoying because they have this one called updates from friends which is like oh this person shared a photo and i've disabled that but i still got a notification for it today yeah i've i've this whole thing has happened twice for me with facebook um this marketplace thing that they do you remember they released that marketplace thing yeah terrible place yeah terrible place that's what it should be called um and for some reason it would just always have a one so it would always so I'd, i'd like click it and it'd be like, right, dismiss. And then an hour later, it would go back to one. It would just be like making me, it would be pissing me off. Making <laughs> people die, Andrew. So, and then they, somehow I got rid of it. And then they've just recently done an update where it's back. Right. And it's like, it's like groups or something now. It's no longer a marketplace. Is this the middle button? Yep. Uh, okay. So, uh, so I don't have the application installed right now, but I do know that when I had the application installed, that that's, that middle button is like their favorite property to, to, to deliberately yeah. mix up. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they attract your attention, even if they don't put a, a number on it, they put a, um, like a little gleam, like a sparkle yeah. so that it's animated when it first loads up. The other thing is if you actually look at those, those graphics, it's very difficult to tell what they are because they're all silhouettes of people. Mm. Like one is like one person, one is like multiple people. And so they, they, they're basically enticing you to interact with them and click on them. And then their statistics say, oh, if we make it sparkle, if we put a one or we put a fake notification, we get more engagements. And this is why yeah. you get these notifications that say, you know, Bob hasn't uploaded in a while and he's just put a picture. I hate like, it. Oh, yeah, great. Just another thing as well. The only reason I actually have Facebook on my phone, because it's it quite a paranoid thing, is because I don't like being tagged in things. And I've now enabled um, the fact that re- tags have to be reviewed. I'm surprised you didn't have that already. I've never been. I've never really been through the Facebook settings, but now tags have to be reviewed. Oh, you have. You, the thing is, you have to go through those settings quite often. I think. Yeah, and and the thing is now that now I've still, I've just got that notification. It's like, well, how do I know that I'm? You know, tags are actually going to get reviewed because now I don't actually trust their bloody settings. 
because they don't seem to do anything. This is this is exa- so. Just going back to that whole thing of of basically this annoyed me so much when they brought this thing back that I have completely disabled all notifications in my Apple settings for Facebook. Yeah. So even if it tries to send me push notifications or give me a one, no, not happening. Um. So and. Short of, de- I'm not going to delete Facebook off my phone just yet, Jewel. Like in a similar position to Jules. Like I've just actually clicked on it now to see, because I obviously I click on it when I see a one or a two hour, I will instinctively right. like try and clear that yeah. notification. Now I've gone to it and there's like eight things. Three of them are on this group marketplace esque thing, and the rest are just someone has commented on someone's post that I don't even know. Yeah, ex girl who I haven't spoken to in five years commented on a girl I don't know's video. It's like. Right, like great. So that's the that's the notification. So that's what it really thinks is the is the cream of the crop, right? It's it's showing you the best stuff here in these notifications. But if you go down, if you actually look at the actual news feed, if you actually scroll through that feed, and you know, Facebook were one of the first people to come to this idea of no longer showing it chronologically. And I I, I guess people just don't complain about it for Facebook anymore. Well, not that I've seen anyway. I haven't really looked. There's no content on Facebook anyway. It's really weird. Like yes. there used to be, there used to be actual content from people on Facebook, but now it's just people sharing terrible links and fake news. Right. And yes, terrible. sharing things. And and uh, they recently removed the ability to completely block stuff from the um, from the actual uh, app as well. So so previously, so one that one that drives me nuts uh, is. Uh, you've probably heard of it, this thing called Lad Bible. Yeah. Right? I hate that. I hate that thing. It's, it, it is just, it's, it's again, it's, it's riding this wave of dumb people using social media and deliberately writing clickbait to get people to interact with it. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm, I'm so uninterested and I have, I have blocked it in every way possible on Facebook, yet I still see people sharing stuff from it. Now, I'm just blocking it because I dislike it. But if I'm blocking it because it causes a, a like a painful memory or something like that, like you know, yeah. you, you, you yeah. hear you hear because um, you know the way that face, Facebook profiles people for advertising. You will say if say for example uh, uh, someone miscarries or something like that, mm-hmm. you'll then get adverts for like baby clothes and stuff like that on Facebook. Right. And if someone then tries to block that stuff, it's it just it keeps keeps coming back. There's no control, and they don't want to give you that that control over over what you see because it's not you know you're the product. They it's the advertisers that they. And the other, the other, the page owners that they're that they're really kind of catering to. So when you start to kind of notice this thing as you look through this newsfeed, all it is 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 that kind of rubbish. That's all. That's that's yeah. all there is these days. So I really do not care about Facebook, and the fact is, I'm sat here right now thinking I I've disabled practical notifications. People have to, you know, have to. I have to review things for people to tag me in things. People cannot post on my wall anymore. Um, only friends oh. can see things. Um, I've literally disabled a lot of stuff. Like I said, I don't care. Oh, I mean, oh my God. Like it's, there's so much stuff in these things, isn't there? Yeah, Andy? exactly. But the fact is now I don't know if I trust it. I don't know if I believe it. Oh, in the settings. Yeah. The privacy settings. I've literally just opened up and been bloody hell. Uh, they're mental. Now, I, you know, I, I, I can only imagine from a, from a technical point of view, 
now we're we're tech savvy right so so not only do we understand that these like that there's a lot to go through here we also understand that perhaps it doesn't touch all scenarios like like andrew's saying there you don't necessarily trust these settings imagine if you're not tech savvy looking at this it's just it's mental and you know i i get that a lot of this these kind of fine-grained controls are probably because of the way that the application like facebook as a whole has been built over the years uh the the reason that there's probably so many security settings all over the place is because different product teams have built different things like you can easily Mm -hmm. imagine it from that kind of point of view right you can easily kind of understand why but for something that is so uh personal and so kind of used by so many people like having these complex convoluted and probably misleading privacy controls is a real kind of worry for that for that kind of thing i was i was gonna um basically say that i really don't care about facebook um and like i said i'm sat here thinking about deleting the app on my phone because i've disabled everything um and i actually wouldn't care if facebook as a company went away but the only thing i actually do care about here and that i'm actually getting increasingly kind of annoyed and upset about is the fact that instagram is is involved with facebook I would say there's two things. There's two things. There's 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 uh, Facebook's technology and and Instagram, right? right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, from, that's a good point. Because yeah, uh, we'll we'll kind of leave the technology to one side for a minute. But um, Instagram is is becoming even more worrying because of the fact that they're talking about unifying the messaging platform right. across all exactly. of Facebook. Ugh. If they do that, it'd be harder for Facebook to be split up into separate groups. But basically, it means that Instagram would just be a shell on top of facebook whatsapp would just be a shell on yeah facebook. exactly and messenger oh that is the worst i just i just uh, i'm sick oof. of i'm sick of facebook but i i am sick of instagram becoming more like facebook as well and the integration yeah, instagram every time I, every, every time i open the app it's like oh please connect to your facebook account i'm like cancel every time please stop asking me what does it say it asked me to uh reconnect my instagram account to my facebook account I think I think it might have like expired or something, and they want to new up that connection or something. Right. So it shows something in like it shows like a like a badge or something, doesn't it? Yeah. No, no, it's just an alert. It's like literally when I open the app, it'll just be like, uh, you know, like it's uh, an OK cancel kind of alert white oh, box, right. one of those. And it's just it's just infuriating because I actually do enjoy Instagram and I do spend a lot of time on there. Same. I, I've I've hardly used it recently because I actually I did actually remove the application. Um, mm. Not because I dislike the the interactions on it or what I see on it or anything like that. It is purely from the from the the point of view that it is becoming more like Facebook. One of the things that happens to me on Instagram all the time, and I am sure I'm sure this is deliberate, but um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's different for you guys. Um, but often when I load the application, I see a glimpse of a post that I've not seen before. I've not seen yet. And potentially it's sometimes it's quite interesting. Um, and then suddenly it disappears because it does a refresh. It never goes back to where you were. It always kind of does a refresh of the screen. And it's like, it's teasing me with a, with something that is potentially interesting in, in an attempt for me to scroll through to find that thing. I don't know if you ever got, if you guys ever experienced this, do you ever see like a flash of content when you first load Instagram? I've only ever seen it flash things that I I was last looking at, but maybe it's because I look at Instagram quite frequently. Maybe, maybe because I feel like it's not it's not stuff that I've last looked at. It's often stuff that um, 
it's often stuff that I haven't seen yet. If it's if it's got right. the if it's like on the feed, unless it's like on a particular thing, but it it shows you like this flash before it, then it moves on something else. I'm sure that's deliberate. Like that's not just a janky interface. Mm. Something something like Instagram, where they where they you know really spend quite a lot of time on making that interface kind of smooth as possible, and they get this weird flash of content beforehand. I think there's there's something up there. They're like they know that that entices people, that shows people that there's more stuff. And then there's this, obviously, there's this, the stories that I don't care about, and now Instagram TV or whatever it's called that I don't care about. I don't even know what that is. Well, no, neither do I. But I, oh, it's I think terrible. it's just, a, yeah. And it's just they've they've taken they've taken away the core parts of Instagram that I that I care about. Now, I don't I, I don't want this to I don't want it to just sound like I'm just moaning here. It's just that you know I'm investing my time and and again you know i the people who came up with instagram in the first place and the people who work on instagram now again you know uh, and the people who are on instagram you go for it you do you do your thing but i'm investing my time in these applications and you know i i feel like these days a lot of this stuff is just it's really it's really poor like it's not it's not doing this stuff for good it's doing this stuff to Engage. sell more adverts yeah. and, and get get these statistics that say that they're successful. It's like they're gaming the system to fool themselves. The Instagram ads for me have not been particularly aggressive or um, just wrong. Like t- sometimes they're actually quite cool products or whatever. So I, I think they do okay with targeting. The thing with the thing with the Instagram adverts that the um, I think we talked about this before. There's there's a there's a version of Instagram that's available on Windows. Um, and I used to use it on my Windows phone, but it's also available on the Windows PC. It doesn't have adverts. I don't know why. Um, it just doesn't have them. And the whole experience is so much nicer without those adverts. And it was the same with um, Messenger. Well, I use Tweetbot for Twitter, and they don't have. Ad- I don't get adverts on that. But you yeah, know. but these are like the, these are like the official apps, right? So the official Instagram app right. and the official Messenger app for Windows Phone did not have adverts in. And Small they platform. were generally like significantly better. And then as soon as I switched to iOS, like it's like the second thing I see on Instagram, it's like there's a picture and then there's an advert. I mean, that's, that's how they do it. Um, I don't know. I just feel like they've, they make, it's just getting worse and worse, this kind of stuff. So I would, I have two kind of last things to say on, on Instagram really. One is that I wish, uh, so I use the discovery tab quite a lot and I wish that I could basically say only show me things from these topics and one would be fountain pens um because i i do a lot of pen related um research or looking up or just enjoyment um of fountain pen related things on um on instagram and the second thing is like and what i'm kind of saying this with this is that i um i don't like how it learns after like it continues to learn and also the fact that sometimes it just decides to show me things i do not care about for some reason i'm getting loads of stuff about american police officers being shot or in car chases or doing things right i'm getting some weird stuff (laughs) that's probably because he turned off all the facebook stuff and it's like i have no idea who you are anymore just show them american stuff Right, like it's just terrible. I'm like, I'm getting a mix of fountain pens and then American police officers and people doing stupid stuff. And I just, I wish I could just say, do not show me that stuff and just only stick to these topics. 
I don't know how it's got into that state, but I don't like it. And I'm just, yeah, it's, I don't, I, mm. I feel like Instagram was really, really good for a beef, like for, for like a brief period of last year. And for some reason, it's just started to go downhill because Facebook are just really pushing heavily on it. And I hate Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the the trouble is that when you've got 2 billion users, there's not a lot more you can do to increase if your if your metrics and your share price and everything are correlated and proportional to how many users are using the application, and more importantly, how many people see ads, therefore revenue, right? Can I ask a? Sorry, I know I'm interrupting, but can can I ask a question? Yeah. Would either of you pay for a um like a an Instagram Pro kind of account where you would not see adverts and you could do certain things like tailor discovery? to be something because i would pay for that if the price was good no um it depends it depends it really does depend on on the price but um, i'm just trying to think about how you know youtube have youtube red or whatever it's called now um and you know they cut out adverts not to not to go off on a, on a tangent but youtube uh youtube in some ways it seems to be even worse and i would love to be mm. able to just not use youtube but there is an option to uh, pay for YouTube and turn all that stuff off. But that's not something I've gone for. Um, so I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing then that um, you know the I'd probably be in the same position that if it was available, mm. I probably wouldn't go for it. Uh, depending on the price, I would consider it because I do. I do really like really like um, Instagram. You know. Yeah, but I'm not going to pay for some. So I already pay for Netflix, right? And I know this is a weird one to say, but I'm not paying for anything else that sucks sucks up my time that isn't productive. Like, I'm not going to pay to have an ad-free experience. If the ads pee me off, I'm going to get off Facebook or I'm going to get off Instagram, which is actually a good thing. It's like a deterrent. I would rather pay for Netflix and enjoy proper content. Not not saying that Instagram and Facebook isn't proper content, but it's not something that I would... I'd much rather spend an hour watching Netflix than surfing through Instagram because there's Star Trek on it. I mean, come on. Hmm. I think... I think going back to the the point about like the revenue point I was I was going going on about is that I guess the only way they can drive growth now as a business like they've reached their it feels like like the companies like Facebook have reached their plateau of well it's fine the 10 years of growth that they've had from you know 2007 yeah. to now were all about getting users on board and it was all happy days. So they never needed to because they were just measured on daily active users and, you know, revenue would go up at the same rate without as many ads and as without as many, you know, literally down your throat, shove it down your throat adverts. And now they've reached that plateau. They're using more advanced techniques to keep people on Facebook, keep people surfing, like, do you remember the big one of the biggest problems they had with the advent of mobile was the screen real estate was so much smaller that that they were like, well, how do we how do we keep how do we get as much ad in that real estate as possible without mm. peeing people off, right? And if you remember, they they were they had that internal was it Facebook paper app or, or they had something called Facebook timeline or not not necessarily paper but they had an app basically that it was tested and it. It basically was so good at showing people the content that they wanted that they would spend less time on Facebook. So they they never it never got off the ground, basically because they'd spend less time on it. <laughs> Sounds about right. 
and I remember this, it was about five or six years ago now, maybe, maybe, maybe even longer. And yeah, that it sounded beautiful. It was apparently it was like a really beautiful experience where it was just nothing caught your eye other than the content that you wanted to see, which sounds amazing, mm. you know, because that, that, that's great. Facebook is, 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 I just want to catch up with what my friends are doing. Then I'm done. But, but my, my, I, I made the point earlier that no one really does catch up with what they're doing anymore on Facebook. If it's not sharing ads, then it's some kind of humble bragging, boasting kind of thing that I just don't care for about from people I don't care for. Yeah, no a lot of the ones I see are are people who like share, they they like use an application to share their image or something, and then it goes through a machine learning algorithm to say what Disney character they are or something like that, right? Oh, you still see that stuff. How many how many older people do you have on Facebook? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's yeah, it's strange because I think when when I was new to Facebook, um, you know, we, me and the kind of the other people that were that I interacted with at the time uh, did did that kind of thing for a little while, and then very quickly it it got old, and yeah. you kind of realize that this stuff is not worth it. And I think it's actually it's it's an older generation that is using that I see using Facebook more yeah. these days. Yeah, and they are engaged in those kind of things, and that's not really catching up with people, right? That's 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 them using an application and just you know, show it, sharing the results going, Oh, you know, I'm the little mermaid or whatever. Right. Yeah. But there's a bit, there's a deeper thing to that, you know, with, with, with the, uh, I don't know, senior people, people who are older in the community, you know, you hear about, they get lonely and, and, and there's a massive thing about lonely, <laughs> lonely people as they get older. And Facebook is almost like yeah, a solution to, for guess, them to, to that. And it is a good way. It is a good way for them to keep up, like to stay in touch with these people that are far away. But I mean, I grew up on IRC and, and that was mm. different. Like that there were no adverts. You ran your own servers. You controlled your own channels. You decided who was yeah. an operator and who wasn't. And, you know, I, so I learned how to interact with people on the internet when that was the, that was the standard. That was the default. And yes, you, you do get caught up by the shiny of things like Facebook when it was new. But now I look at things like IRC and I think that that's, that was the better way of doing stuff. I mean, we use things like Slack today, um, but it's not, you know, it's, there's less for us personally, there's less of us on Slack than, there, than, than I grew up with on IRC, where it was a lot easier for new people to arrive because mm-hmm. we were actually using kind of uh, public service and stuff. But because I think we, we grew up that way, uh, the kind of older generation did not grow up online in that way. And they're this is their first ex- real experience. I mean, I, I say it like it's it's brand new. It's not. This has been happening for years now. But um, they're still relatively new to that kind of online interaction, whereas for us, we've been doing it for, for longer. Let's switch over to another privacy issue that happened this week where um, it was found that group FaceTime calls um, were able to be uh, monitored without the other person accepting. So I'm not entirely sure on the specifics of how to do this. Uh, I didn't try it. Um, and I've actually disabled FaceTime at the moment. Well, it was disabled pretty, it was, yeah, it was disabled pretty quickly anyway by Apple. Essentially it it was, uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't consistent, but it's still a major, major problem where, um, you could have a group FaceTime call and add someone to the call basically. Um, and even if they did not accept, 
you could hear them and in some cases also see uh, output from their camera. And there's obviously a massive, massive security problem. Um, there is a lawsuit right now from a lawyer saying that it caused evidence or information of a private uh, you know, conversation to be leaked. And that's why he lost a case, I think. But more like, so this is obviously a massive problem and Apple are looking to fix it. They've shut down group FaceTime and that's, um, you know, maybe they could react quicker to that uh, by getting a fix out sooner. Um, but at least they've shut it down. The thing that I found out um, and that bugged me the most about this was that um, the family who found this issue reported this problem through to the Apple, you know, um, like security channels saying this is a, a bug and I don't want to, you know, publicly talk about this. Uh, but this is this is huge. They then told them to file a radar, at which mm. point they did and it got marked as a duplicate. Um, and after I think it was a week of nothing happening, they decided to go public, which I think is is obviously from if I mean if I was in their shoes I would I, you would you would probably go public with it because you'd want it to be fixed it's if you feel vulnerable if you know about that yeah um, and it's not being fixed um how, the, so that the failing here is on Apple it goes it goes back to the whole us being technical versus not not technical people thing like these this these people are not technical and they're being told to create a developer account to to file a radar it's crazy. Right, and it is that is that is not cool, and also just saying, yeah, this 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 is a bug. Just go file a radar when it's a serious security issue. Is is a complete failing on Apple's part. Now, as of time of recording, I'm pretty sure there's no fix out for this um, yet. I assume that uh, Apple's group FaceTime calls are still, you know, disabled. Uh, I haven't tried it. Well, I can try it right now if you want. Here we go. <laughs> That's not. Where are you no, guys? Don't call me because all of my devices will light up. i have one two three that plan four four apple devices sat around me right now please do not call me so this when you when we say group facetime um you could actually fool this into thinking it was a group facetime by adding yourself to the call couldn't you Uh, i don't know i like i said i hadn't tried so you, you didn't need three people to 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 actually exploit it i think you you could do it to someone else without that, without a third person, even though it was, is it is the group FaceTime technology that is failed, that, that failed. Jordan, are you listening to me right now? <laughs> no, it didn't work. It said FaceTime unavailable. I declined it, but now I don't know. I'm right. I'm disabling FaceTime on my iPad right now. God damn it, Jordan. Um, and then I think The Verge found that if you, or it may not have been The Verge, but I know they reported it, that if you actually hit the power button, Rather than the decline uh, button, it actually enabled video as well. Yes, something something strange. So um, this is a, a huge problem, and I think that Apple's um, internal handling of this is where this was treated very badly when it's a very serious yeah. problem. Well, yeah, but this is this is a human problem. Like it's a very different from Facebook, where like Facebook are like we don't sell your data, even though they do. Apple's privacy stance, at least publicly is we we value your privacy. All your data stays on your device and everything's encrypted and we don't sell your data, right? This is just a bug, an unfortunate bug. And maybe it wasn't a bug. Maybe it was like it's some form of feature that people are like, oh, that, that'll be a good feature. And- no, I think I think that the the fact that this is a bug is, is okay. Like, it, yeah, it's it's a bad bug and it sucks. 
but the fact that they the way they handled this is the is the part that I'm personally upset about from Apple for. Yeah, but it's not the whole company, and this is something like this is something that I was I was going to touch on with Facebook as well. It's like I feel really bad for the majority of Facebook staff because not all of them. Sure, it's not. It's like when we talk about Apple and we talk about Facebook, it's like it's how they handled it. Every single person at that company who employs a hundred thousand people or 10,000 people or whatever, and you think it's only one or two people who receive that notification yeah. initially that, that 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 don't understand the gravity of it. And the the that- problem is the, the leadership, though. Like, you've got, you've, mm. you've got to take responsibility for that from, from a yeah, leadership sure. point of view. And yes, I, I absolutely 100% agree with you, Jordan, that there are people who work at Apple and Facebook. Yeah. Um, Facebook in particular, probably on the open source technology, things like React, who care deeply about um, you know that technology, technology and and uh, open source and providing uh, this this amazing stuff to the world. Uh, at Apple, you can imagine some of the product designers who who you know grew up uh, with with these you know using a Macintosh and and then going through um, getting landing this amazing job at Apple and so on. So you know there's there's everyone has these individual stories um across these companies same with same with google i'm sure um though i'm sure they're all heartless and, and evil but <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm not but uh when when you, you're right when we say you know apple should have done something about this it ha- you've got to take that responsibility all the way up to the top because for something where mm. um especially on a, a phone that is answering early like that's that's crazy that's that's not how yeah. that's not how yeah. a phone should work right that's a that's a fundamental um flaw um but yeah i i, t- I completely totally agree um it's not everybody but you gotta you gotta go right to the top and say what have they done that has that's caused this kind of thing to happen i mean the quality of the apple software isn't it's going downhill. It's going it downhill, been, right? It has been for a while. And is that because of the legacy of, you know, again, same with Facebook. We're 10 years in, you know, 12 years into the iPhone and the operating systems. And, and and originally it was a smaller landscape, it was a smaller footprint. And, you know, and even then, you know, I remember things like OS ten and, and, you know, like when it was OS ten, Leopard, and Snow Leopard, and I feel like Snow Leopard as an operating system was probably the last stable operating system on the Mac where I, I wouldn't notice. I would never have crashes. Do you know what I mean? Like, very rarely would I have, like, kernel panics and stuff like that and things go awry. And I feel like that's been a running theme for Apple software. Even the iPhone, like, it used to, I used to, it used to be so stable, right, just as an operating system. And now it does things that are ridiculous. Like, uh, and we've 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 all been complaining about. It. So I think it's a, a systemic thing, and I don't know if that's just a legacy of their their landscape now. That it's, it's like technical debt catching up with them. Do you know what I mean? It could be. It could be. The in terms of the filing of radars, though. Now I've never done this. I'm not a, an Apple developer, but I follow people on uh, Twitter who who talk a lot about filing radars. Yeah, and that uh, it doesn't. It often doesn't get anywhere. Is that is that is that right? Is yeah, the, the, especially during like beta periods, they get marked as duplicates a lot, or get marked as won't fix. For example, a lot of people. I mean, you've got to. I mean, in a way, there are. If you can imagine how many radars they will get, especially during a beta period where they've you know even public beta period where they've got so many people running 
their stuff that you will get duplicates you will get a lot of stuff you'll get feature requests as well when they're not particularly bugs and that must be really really hard to deal with especially when i mean sorry not especially when but even when you're a large company you you still only have a certain amount of people running on those teams and uh you know the the knowledge share they're having to take all of that and and make defined lists that it's not an easy problem to solve but the yeah there is a general experience that you will just get marked as a dupe or just you know not see anything and it's i actually saw um there's actually a developer who um has some i've sadly forgot his name um but i i follow him on twitter and he filed a bug i think about a year ago for xcode (laughs) um filed a radar and uh he then he's joined the apple uh developer tools team and fixed his own radar and that has now (laughs) been released so it's kind of funny like how he filed that radar but he had to fix it himself in the end so I'm guessing, just to kind of switch tracks just a little bit for a second, um, I'm guessing Radar's been around for a, a while. Yeah, yeah, it seems so. It's been the, it's been the way to it for a while. So um, with with Microsoft, they have they've had multiple ways of filing, um, you know, bugs and things like that for a while. User the, the user voice systems, I really hate those. I really don't think they're effective, and they have like a, you can post something that's actually really important. Um, to, and I know that's important to me, but at the same time, it's still like I'm just because I'm not going to get enough votes, or you know, people won't see this. It's just not going to get done. Yeah. Whereas actually, is is very valuable to certain sets of people. So, so they they tend to be for um product uh feature requests, right? Um, that Microsoft also has another system called Feedback Hub, which is for Windows. Uh, feature requests and it's, it's specifically for the insider program to for people to provide feedback and in a similar way here to the way that you know radars have, have been ignored uh, um, there was for the previous version of windows uh, 1809 um, there was a massive bug which meant that uh, users documents were destroyed I, I I don't know, I can't remember if we talked about it. But I I think um, I think we did. We I think we've mentioned it. it. I don't mm. know whether we've mentioned it on on the show, but um, that that was actually raised in a similar kind of way. That was raised through the feedback hub with with plenty of time in the flights that were happening on the fast ring before it came out. The it came out, and they shipped it, and and then people were saying, well, well, where's all my documents gone? You know, the, it goes to the non-technical people and they're like saying, well, where's all my documents gone? And it turns out that of course, you know, it was mentioned in the feedback hub a while back. So, you know, other companies have these same issues whereby something is as devastating as destroying all documents as, Mm -hmm. as intrusive as phone calls going through early before someone has acknowledged them. Those kinds of things just don't the the weight of that vastly outweighs a, you know a shadow being missing in the user interface on Windows, right. mm-hmm. and they're both being treated in the same way through the feedback hub. Is right. that you know someone saying, "Oh, this when I right click on this menu, it's inconsistent to this menu," and they get tons and tons of votes. But something is something as as bad as deleting all the documents just seems to get you know, missed. Mm -hmm. It's, I think, I think, I think there's something wrong with the way that feedback is kind of collected um, across the board, really. If it had got caught and fixed, 
I know it's not, this is so obvious. Obviously, nothing. It we we it, we wouldn't be up in arms about it, like how big these bugs were. Do you know what I mean? If it's it was like, if it was at the preview version, if it was just in the preview, and someone said, "Oh, if you're running," I can't remember which version it is, iOS twelve uh, beta, whatever. And you do a FaceTime call because this because this particular version of FaceTime was like delayed, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, and it's, so if someone was like, "Oh, if you're running this preview, you can get through and you can do this thing," yeah, I, I, I'm sure the Verge would write about it. I'm sure we'd read about it on 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 Hacker News or something. But we wouldn't we wouldn't be trying it with our friends, right? People wouldn't be using it. So so yeah, I think that if Apple were to have. Um, seen this issue in the security side of things before it went to a radar and said ah crap we've we've messed up here right we're shutting down group uh group facetime temporarily until we have a fix and put out a, you know a press release for that i would have gone okay yeah that that's bad but you you've identified it especially if they disclose it you'd say good on you yeah yeah you're doing the right thing for them and, and i know this comes back to the whole people thing but for them to go ah file a radar um, and we'll get to it when it's a very serious thing. Why did that happen from the security team when they're supposed to be the ones who are saying that's a serious problem? That is a security yeah, you problem. Can't, you can't ship this. Don't ship it. Turn it off. Yeah. They're, they're the people who should be saying that and that voice should, should carry some weight. Right. So I think that, yeah, like it's just, just the way that this was handled on that side of things was just really poor. And And I know I keep repeating that, but that's just... They they could have done better here, and it would have been much less of a thing. It would have still sucked, but it, we would have got past it because it would have been re-enabled, and it would be like, oh, cool, it's working. You know, it's back on, and we're confident in it. They they understand the importance of the privacy here, but for them to not do that, for that team to have not done that, that was poor. That was really poor. Slight now now we're on, we're on we're on the subject of Apple. There was something else that was related to this Facebook thing, and that relates to Apple and also Google because Google got caught out with this as well. That the way Facebook distributed that app uh, for that, we'll call it a research app was through, was, was, was through Apple's uh, enterprise certificates, basically. Correct. Which allow companies to deploy apps to their internal employees at, at mass scale so like almost like mobile device management style like yes here and you know we don't have to go to the app store we can just sign them ourselves and they'll get on the device right correct and obviously we talked about like how facebook's was revoked by apple and that caused a lot of problems for you know the, the lunch menu app and the travel yeah the lunch menu on the travel app but google had the same problem that google google had an app similar they did to to, to facebook um, and they were completely open about it, apparently transparent, and said, "Look, we're going to use this to collect your data and and and, and analyze it to the users." Yeah, so they were yeah. they were more transparent to the users about what they were doing. Yes, to the end users. Yes, this is this is what I've I've read, and obviously they've had their enterprise developer or well, their enterprise certificate basically revoked as well, which has caused their cafe app mm-hmm. and their travel app as well get caught out now regardless of 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 whether google or facebook should have done this or not and how transparent they were with users i mean for me i'm thinking well if someone if it was very clear that someone was paying me to track my usage and i consented to that then fair play right that's we're all human beings we're allowed to make our own decisions it's not for apple 
to mm. dictate. However, obviously those apps would never have passed the initial app store review, so it's kind of a catch twenty two position, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But the but the but I've seen some comments in the interwebs where people are complaining about how much power Apple have over yeah. the ability to you know over over like you know over their iPhones over phone over their iPhones over their ecosystem where they can just kill they can just kill an app they can just you know cause so much disruption they've got so much control of these devices. However, there are two sides to this. Some people are saying, well, Apple's terms and conditions explicitly say ex- state that these enterprise certificates, which you can only have one of per company, and you have to apply for, and they have to be manually granted, yeah, can only be used for internal, you know, applications that are for internal use only. Mm-hmm. And both Google and Facebook breached that contract. Correct. So Apple are within that right. They're within the right to just revoke those certificates because they have misused them. Now. On the other hand, it's almost like the control of the ecosystem for our privacy, for our own right, is quite tight. And it's it's a catch-22, so I'm I'm neither here nor there about it. My opinion about this is, like, I actually, and given the fact that I don't work at Facebook or uh, Google, I do not actually care about their uh, certificates being revoked and it causing a problem for them. What I do care about is the fact that if this was uh, an indie developer who was not an enterprise uh, and they were doing something, they used some, you know, private APIs that allowed them to do certain things, their entire developer account would be blocked, all of their apps would be removed, and they would have no way to go back. But these apps, because of th- these companies, because of their size, they're, you know, they're temporarily being revoked, and they're currently negotiating with Apple. Uh, but they'll be back on, they'll be, they'll be up and working again soon. And that is where I think there's more of a problem here. Personally, that if I was an indie developer, and I made a mistake. And yes, I, that is a mistake that I made. But the fact is that would ruin my entire career. Um, my livelihood, I would lose. I, 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 you know, if I was relying on that, I could have the potential to lose, you know, my house or, you know, and everything around me. Um, and that would, but these companies, they're going to float along, but fine, okay. They're going to be okay. But, but at the same point in time, that it, 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 it expressly states in the agreement and in the app store as well, like from an app store store perspective, rather, um, you would you know that it would be against the rules. It probably get rejected before it even got off the ground, anyway. So mm. I know what you're saying, and I understand that it's basically like you're saying that like bigger companies have an unfair advantage when it comes to this stuff. But it's the same thing as like Sherlocking, right? Apple have the power to make someone's app be completely useless when they put it into an operating system feature, and therefore, in turn, potentially ruin their livelihood. And that is that kind of comes back to that power thing. I really don't care about the power of the large, uh, uh, the large companies. I really don't. It's it's the people who are smaller, making a career, providing potentially you know helpful good apps. Like if this happened to you know someone who was running an indie app that is used a lot, like uh, for example Overcast by Mark Warman, which I use a lot, I would be absolutely gutted for for one for the fact that that app was being taken away from me. When it's a great app, uh, and also the fact that it would it would harm Marco, who has a very good sense of um, you know privacy and the, the way to treat his users. I, I I get what you're saying, but but you've got to remember Overcast is a podcast app. So if he's going if, if it's blocked for some private kind of privilege reasons, he's breaching your trust by putting something in there. It's it's more it's more just that like the, the sharelocking aspect and the, the power yeah. aspect. Like what like, I'm not talking about 
you know you mean the fact that apple can just replace can replace right the developer the developer may not make what is can you know construed to be a mistake they may end up just being sheer locked or you know being removed after a misunderstanding that was not the developer's fault yeah i i i, I get that i think it's possibly a a little bit more of a an edge case in that respect um, I also think that there is a podcast app that Apple have got, right? Like, and which has like over seventy percent of the actual podcast traffic in general in, in the world. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But that means that there's thirty percent. So you know, Overcast, for instance, has quite a decent following. And I don't think I, I use Overcast, by the way. So you know, big fan, Marco. Big fan. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, I get what you're saying. Now, what I was going to say though is with this is that if the fact of the matter is, Facebook and Google can't complain because they do this kind of thing every day to other companies. Google are the biggest advertiser in the world, right, in terms of search. They have the ability to kill companies. We we used to work at a business where we saw Google completely wipe out companies mm. overnight, right? And the same with Facebook. They have these Facebook apps in the same way. If they when 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 these apps misused Facebook's APIs, they were they came down them like a ton of bricks, right? Yeah. So it's it's no different. So I, it is a shame that people won't be able to look at the lunch menu. And I'm sure there's a lot more to it. it there's a lot more to it. It's not just going to be lunch menu. There'll be other apps. It's, it test, test versions of the applications. I think they, yeah. they, before they go to, um, go to the app store for actual, um, certification, all the rest of it, all of the test early versions of things like yeah. Messenger and Instagram and all those things go through this certificate. That's what it's for, right? You know exactly. That is what it's for. It's for these internal apps. The lunch menu app would count as that as well. Yeah. By the way, I, I would I would just kind of add. Um, apparently, it is fairly common practice for, um, uh, especially in uh, China, for. And for people to install applications through enterprise certificates, um, because, you know, app, app, app developers, app developers create something and they say, uh, um, you know, use our takeaway application. Here's, here's how you install it. And they give people a slip of paper that says, go to this thing, install the certificate, click on this, install the application on your machine and completely bypass. That is interesting. That's that is horrific. Interesting. That's interesting because to be honest, if you look at the App Store ecosystem, obviously everything has to be vetted um, before it goes up online. The f- enterprise apparently enterprise certificates are, are notoriously difficult to get hold of. Like, it, like I said, it's a manual application. The company has to manually apply to Apple and then get it granted. And if it was that easy to get them, it's one per company, right? One per company. So I was reading something where they were saying, why why wouldn't you just have two enterprise certificates? One for your internal apps and the other one for the the dodgy stuff you might be doing. But apparently you, it's limited to one per company, even if you're Facebook and even if you're Google. So the fact that these, these takeaway apps can get them, I'm wondering if that's something that they've Apple have said this is totally okay in China because, well, in China, everything needs to be censored and logged and monitored through yeah, the maybe. great firewall of, of China. Yeah. The point, but that, that is interesting, but I would, I would be... Anything that happens in China with Google, Facebook and Apple, it's like a completely different playing field mm. because there's the amount of political and government influence on on how applications are served will probably take that'll probably be taken into consideration 
So let's move on to something a bit more positive. I um, positive in a way. I found that the episode thirty uh, one of Mavis was quite. Uh, it was a longer episode than usual. We usually aim for around an hour and a half to be a bit meta about this stuff, but uh, it was a longer episode, and um, I was far, I, like that. I had to do it over multiple kind of days because um, that caused me a lot of pain to edit that episode and this is something that i've experienced in the past where um i do a lot of work when editing to cut out silent spots so right now when jaws and jordan aren't talking in terms of their tracks that'll be cut even though there's no audio there i like to cut it to make sure that there's nothing in the background you know i try to listen for maybe you know high frequency things that not everyone can hear but in certain cases they come out and they cause audio problems and we've had stuff like this in the past so to make sure that the episode is is kind of clean and also just more it's just easier to handle with all the individual parts of people speaking um i like to cut it all out the way i do that is i um i have to you know click a segment and i hold and tense you know click and drag where i'm tensing my hand to to keep that button held down let go press a few keyboard shortcuts and then continue and move on and that caused a massive amount of rsi pain for me where just the action of of doing that really, you know, constantly tensing my fingers, repeating the same action really, really hurt. And I've tried to use a trap pad and that's even worse because you have to do like, it's just, it's just, it's a harder click really. I, I tried to, you know, I've tried to kind of deal with that over time. But the fact is that that is just a reality of the, the way uh, podcasts are edited. I, I spoke to uh, Jason Snell actually, I tweeted him and said, Hey, I know Audition has uh, doesn't have this feature, but Logic does, where called Strip Silence. Now, Strip Silence is where, like I was saying about how Jules and Jordan aren't speaking right now, that will get uh, basically cut out automatically. So I end up with all the individual parts of the people speaking as individual bits on the track, where I can easily move them around, which means I don't have to do that long, clicky, draggy process. So I, I tweeted Jason Sell and said, hey, I'm having RSI issues with this. Um, this kind of thing, and I'm thinking about moving to Logic. Do you think it's worth it? Because given that Logic is around two hundred odd dollars, um, it's quite a massive outlay. You know, it's a bigger outlay for someone who's not earning. What well, you know, we don't earn any money from this podcast. It's 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 a cost for me, but I enjoy doing it, so that's why we do it, and we enjoy doing it. Is it worth doing? You know, um, having a look at that. Is it worth spending the money on? And Jason Sell suggested trying ferrite on the ipad and I've, I've had ferrite before i've never actually edited anything in it but i did download it because i've heard jason Snell and mike hurley talk about this on upgrade before so the last episode of mavis episode 32 um was a mix of editing podcasts on my imac and the ipad and i just kind of want to chat about how that went what kind of stuff i do on each device and and the how i've kind of found that experience so there are typically five different tracks of audio that uh, I edit. Um, three of them are, are individual uh, voices. So I have a track for me, I have a track for Jordan, and I have a track for Jules. I also record Skype, which means I can kind of make sure that everybody's synced up in terms of what they're saying uh, to the conversation. Um, but I don't really do anything with that track apart from ensure that, you know, it's... Uh, it's just there for timing to make sure that if anybody has any audio drift, which is more of a technical thing that I won't go into, that I can kind of resync everything to the Skype track to make sure the conversations make sense and they're all in time. 
I also then have another track, so that's four so far. I also have another track for things like bleeping in case Jordan swears and, um, you know, the, the, the intro jingles, etc. So I have that many tracks and, um, in audition, uh, through, uh, through the last episode, what I did was I processed the speaking tracks, um, by, you know, doing noise reduction, a bit of EQ, leveling them and kind of getting them in sync. And then, decided to export them and I took them over to the iPad. What did you, what did you export them as? Uh, WAV files. So I um, put them into a multi-track session uh, like I usually do, do all the processing on them, get them synced up. And then what I can do is uh, export them as if they're individual songs for each track. And the reason why that's beneficial is because I make a load of notes right now uh, as I'm recording to basically edit again so i will say that at um you know jordan swore this this episode at this certain period write that down so i can go and bleep that out and i don't want to lose those timestamps if because if the fact is i'm logging them down if they become out of sync with the time that uh, i was recording at and i have that down then you know it's it's useless so i i essentially export them as individual tracks and they're all kind of synced up at that point and they still match the time that i have written down for them does that answer that question yeah, yeah, it does. So moving over the files to the iPad was actually a bit um a bit annoying. Now when the iPad Pro came out this uh, this one this year and they you know they put USB C on it, everybody was saying, Why don't they have USB drive support? You know, being able to put some kind of USB in that have maybe a you know memory card or whatever and read files off it from the files app. And that that when I when I saw that I was like, I never have to do that. You know, that doesn't doesn't hurt me. Um, I'm a user of iCloud Drive as well as OneDrive, but I use iCloud Drive for sharing files across my all my Apple devices on the desktop and the documents folder. And I was like, oh, I'll just put them in iCloud Drive and I'll pick them up. Uh, problem, these files were around 5 gig, not each, but combined. And uploading them for some reason on that day was being a pain, so that took a while. Uh, downloading them then meant that um, when it came to Ferrite to import them, it just didn't know how to deal with it. And I couldn't plug in a USB drive to get them over. So what I had to do was, and I and the only reason I knew to do this was because of Jason Stell said this is um, how he does it, is by plugging my iPad into my iMac via the USB port on it and creating a playlist called Mavis, Mavis 32 and syncing that through iTunes oh, over to my device. that's how you did it. Yeah. So I was syncing them over the wire and then I had them on my device and it was fine with that. Now that is um that's fine with me. Like it's not that time consuming. I would rather not have to do that. I would rather be able to do that through a USB stick or something and not have to plug it in. Um so when that you know, when when iOS gets support for external USB drives, that part will be, you know, improved. But the fact is right now it's uh it's a bit horrible. So then I have them on, I have the files in the iPad Pro and now I kind of want to talk about how I found the editing process and doing it on the iPad. Some potential ideas that I had for Ferrite um, and just general kind of review about it. Uh, Ferrite is a recording and editing studio for the iPad. It allows you to record um, tracks from a USB microphone that you can now do through the USB-C port or just use the internal microphone or use some headphone microphones, for example, and then put them in and kind of edit them you know, against against other files potentially. But the problem that currently exists with the iPad and recording on the iPad is that you cannot you cannot um, 
have your audio going to record in this app, but also send it to Skype, which is how we communicate. Yeah. So, so what we're doing, we're talking right now by recording each of those individual tracks that you use and yes. we're talking on Skype and you can't do that on the iPad. No. Correct. You can't do that on iOS at all. There is, you have like a one-to-one kind of audio stream situation. Right. So only what, yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, the, it's not great. I know that there are apps out there called like Anchor who, who Apple actually promote who um, you can have a call with someone in the app and then it will also record your audio. But again, we don't do that. We use Skype. Uh, so I have to record on another device, which is the situation we're in. But uh, editing on the iPad Pro. So I, I got the files out of the uh, iTunes playlist that I put in there. I uh, put them in and I was like, right, let's do this thing. I clicked on the track and I went strip silence. Okay, I could configure some settings. But I was like, let's go for the default settings. And it just did it. And it was perfect. It was really, really good. And now I've got this entire, you know, track, uh, set of tracks with all this silence split out. So how long would that take you to do on Audition? And and was it less time, uh, RSI aside, uh, was it less time consuming to do the moving of the files versus doing it on, um, on Audition? Okay, so there's a couple of things to chat about here. One, the reason why moving them over was time consuming this time was because I, I, need, I initially tried to do it over the internet right. using iCloud Drive. Um, just plugging my iPad in and, and shoving them over takes minutes. So ah, I see. that I see. part is, is you know, now I've done that. Now I will do it this way and it'll be much quicker. In terms of the splitting the silence manually uh, in Audition, it would take probably about two times the time of the episode because I'm doing the edit at the same point. So I would, you know, listen to something, split out the silence while it's playing um, oh, I need to move this thing along, split the silence around it, move it along, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a case of the fact that I I would be doing that at the same time and it would take about two times the length of the episode. Um, now going into having the tracks now going into Ferrite and just being able to say split the silence, that is insane. Like that is a very good speed because now I'm estimating that the and we'll see how this one goes because I'm no longer experimenting. I'm doing this for this episode. Um, I'm kind of hoping it'll be like a 1.5 times episode length, purely because of the fact that half the time when I'm editing these podcasts now, it's just a case of me listening through it and going, yeah, that sounds fine. And if something comes along, I'll be like, right, change that, done, move, play. Whereas I'm not having to do that step. It's cut out a lot of that time and, you know, physical pain and movement um, from the editing process. So that is really great. To like to, to carry on with the, the way I did this, I actually I got really, really frustrated um with editing on the iPad Pro to start with. The the thing I would say is that the base settings for Ferrite are not really not ideal settings for for, for what I would say. I'm not, you know, an expert um audio engineer processing audio daily who knows all of the individual bits i i do i think i do okay i think i'm i'm not a beginner um but i'm above that a little bit but i'm not an expert so coming to ferrite and saying oh you know you can i could just do this because that's how i expect people to do it didn't work it turns out that you can enable all of those things and the thing that i found frustrating was that it was all disabled by default it was all basic settings where you know the the pencil and and my touch with my thing my fingers were the same thing and that's not 
I didn't think that was really intuitive for me. Yeah. Maybe that is for a beginner, but I do not know um, from that position. So uh, my kind of idea for Ferrite would be that, and, and the improvement would be when it's kind of about sensible, default, uh, sensible de- defaults in that if, you know, in the first load of Ferrite, I think they should go, are you a beginner or are you advanced? And at that point, it would say, you know, beginner, stick to the seconds they've got because fine, you know, you want to learn over time, you want to, you know, teach them, you want to say, oh, actually, maybe let's try and enable this thing. But the settings I actually ended up changing changed the entire thing for me. It was felt, it felt really, really good by the end. But I was halfway through the episode before I even realized I could do it. And up until that point, it was really frustrating. And yeah, like that's just the, the, the main part. Like I was doing things and it was just like, why am I having to um you know to cut out someone speaking over each other like to say or or you know cut out someone's um cough for example i have to pause i then have to which means pressing a pause button then have to click it used you know my finger or the button uh, or the, the pencil to click a little button that says cut and then play and then cut it at the right point and press okay and use the playhead to be more precise and then tap the thing and cut turns out that with the settings enabled um, correct, like the settings correctly enabled. This is way, way more intuitive. Where I can say, right, um, this section, use the pencil just to swipe right on it, and it will just go. Mm. So I can, I can be editing and be like, that bit go, that bit go, that bit go. Okay, pause it here because people are speaking to each other. Maybe I need to move something out. Okay, cut that around. Cut the end of this. Cut the end of that. Continue. That was just in, like it was. Just, it just became so much more intuitive when the settings were enabled how old's the application do you think it's because it didn't have the the pencil wasn't around when it first came out or i think i i don't think it's that old i don't know exactly but i think it may have launched with the ipad pro the original one around that time so it would have had a pencil support i will say that the settings are incredible the settings are amazing like the, the the amount of keyboard shortcuts that are available are like really really good um, the fact that the support for the new Apple Pencil is even better where, you know, the double tap button on that, um, that my pencil has, you can configure that to do anything. Literally any of the keyboard shortcuts, you can say, all right, do one of these. And there is, there is a massive, massive list of them. Oh, so yeah, like I was saying, my initial, my initial reaction to this was really frustrated and just kind of like, why am I doing this? This is so laborious. It's going to take me longer, even though I can split silence. Maybe I should split silence and then re-export it, re-export individual tracks and take it back to over, to, uh, over to Audition and leave the gaps in there. Which would be, which would be, it wouldn't be ideal. Uh, but it was honestly, it was just really frustrating, to be honest. Uh, so when I enabled these settings, it got way better. I was zooming through it in the end. I was like, yeah, I'm actually really excited about this. I'm using uh, my fingers to pan and zoom and be able to play pause by tapping with two fingers. And I'm just using the pencil to edit. And my fingers could not edit, which was part of the problem was I would sometimes click something with my finger, meaning to zoom or pan, and it would edit something. And I'd be like, right, undo. And I found myself just, oh, like, it was just, you know, it just felt like it was broken, like a broken process. And then when you can say, all right, my fingers are only allowed to pan and zoom, and the pencil is what I'm editing with, it meant that I could, you know, um, cut this bit here, cut that bit there with with a swipe, um, click all this, click this file and move it here. So it's 
you know, a bit more in sync, for example, add a track and then add this file here and lower the volume or um, click all the files and bring them, bring them forward. Like it just felt way, way better when I'd enabled those settings. So a uh, question for you. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously this, this gave you less RSI than using the mouse. Mm-hmm. So that's correct. Right. So yep. how are you, how are you, so you're using your fingers uh, to kind of like navigate around and stuff and you're using the pen to yep. kind of do the, to, sorry, the pencil to do the kind of uh, cutting and things. Mm-hmm. Where are you in relation to the iPad? Were you sat at a desk? Were you using the draft table? Were you sitting on a sofa? Yep. So I was, I was sat at the um, previously mentioned uh, empty-ish area of my yeah. desk where I yeah. used my pens and pencils and iPads. Um, I was sat there. I had the iPad in the draft table. Um, I initially had it at its lowest setting, so just slightly raised from the floor, uh, from well, the the desk. Um, but I found that I was leaning over, and that caused not hand pain, but it caused like body pain, and like sure. you know, like like uh, like kind of like a chest cramp or something. It was really strange. So I ended up um, putting it at the putting the draft table at the highest setting. And having it facing towards me and you like kind of holding the side of it, even though the draft table is very sturdy, just to have my my fingers kind of pinpointed there to be able to move something around or play pause. And then just having my right hand free to use the pencil to swipe and, you know, edit. And I, I yeah, I, that draft table is very good. The iPad's gripped very, very nicely. It's very, very sturdy. And the fact that I can do that flexibility is great. I would say that editing sat on a sofa though i have not done it um would be would be something i could do i reckon i could probably go away and like sit back on the sofa um have some headphones on and kind of play with a pencil and do that there would be situations where i'd probably get annoyed holding it up and i'd just you know like have you know when you have to hold your phone up sometimes to watch something yeah and it's just like why my hands starting to ache from holding this thing up um, I would reckon that would probably happen. So I re- uh, so so sitting at the desk was great. Um, because I didn't have to do that. So if you if it was completely flat, if you did not have the um the draft table, would it be harder? Uh, I reckon it would not be harder, but it would just cause that physical yeah, kind yeah. of cramping over pain where I'm looking down at it. My ne- my my neck and my chest started to kind of cramp up. So that was the problem there. But when I was kind of sat straight looking at the iPad with its start facing kind of not 90 degrees, but upwards towards me was more beneficial. And the fact that the, even though the, the keyboard folio is, um, it's even more of an angle closer to 90 degrees than, um, than the draft table is the sturdiness of the draft table meant I wasn't worried about, you know, tapping something yeah, aggressively or swiping or moving along and fl- I could be very precise. Wasn't. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was great. Yeah, I haven't used any of the keyboard shortcuts um, Ferrite yet because I just haven't needed to. Everything I need to do is is on is in is in the pencil, which is amazing. So um, yeah, like this this app as well. Just to continue, there was no lag. There was no problem with it processing audio files, making changes, doing actions. You know, I'm playing. I'm making edit. I continue playing. It's not like trying to catch up with itself. It was. It was fast. It was really, really impressive. What they've done there is they've done 
they've done a really, really good job of making a very powerful tool. Um, that is inc- like they, I could probably do, in fact, you can do all of the noise reduction stuff in there. Um, and I could, you know, take the files straight from my Mac, put them onto my iPad and do all of it in there. I just feel as though when I've got the iMac, um, it's very, it's, it's very powerful. It can process them, but also I know how to do that and I can make sure that they're right before passing them over to the iPad, um, where I want to do the, the more interaction based editing. So that was um, that was why I, I chose to do that on the iPad and, and then on the iMac instead of doing it all on the iPad. So yeah, like it was, it's a very 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 powerful app. That was just it was just really impressive. Um, I will be doing this edit as I as I said before on the iPad this time as well, and I think it's going to be a thing moving forward where I found the the right settings for me. Um, that RSI issue's gone. Like I'm using different muscles. I'm, you know, it's just, yeah, really impressive. Really, really impressive. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that the initial interaction model for me, the, those initial settings really burnt me yeah. to the point where I was just like, I'm actually not getting anywhere with this edit. Yeah. The good thing is that it has those, pro, those kind of really kind of pro settings that allow you to, to mm. do that stuff. And that's, that's what makes for, you know, really kind of powerful software. I wonder if they're just trying to capture as many users as possible, but perhaps if they said, oh, you've got a pencil, you know, perhaps you're more likely to want these defaults instead of, yeah. Instead of those ones. Yeah. And, and Jules, you, you did see, I, I showed you a little bit of how, you know, you could swipe and do some of the cuts and edits and stuff. Yeah. I was impressed by it. I mean, this is the thing, like, uh, I think you would need to know that what the application is going to do. The the pencil is different to the to the to the finger um, when you actually do that kind of thing. As long as as long as you know that that's how the applications behave, you're going to do fine. And I think you know I would be able to explore the application and find that out for myself. The mm. thing the thing that interests me the most about this is the fact that you're you're using you're basically using your fingers, and you you mentioned like two fingers and uh, one finger depending on what you're doing. Yep. Uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, double tapping on the on the pencil and using the pencil to do things. Like mm-hmm. you're using your hands and uh, like an extra device to be able to perform multiple actions compared to what you were doing just using the the, the mouse previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really really good to hear because this is this is like the future of software, isn't it? It's these more yeah. these more natural interactions and when i say natural i mean it's natural for you to be able to make these movements it's not necessarily natural for a pencil to cut audio that's not mm-hmm. the point that's that's the magic of software it's more about right. the actual movements and the, uh, that you're that you're making um it's it's a bit of a shame and also a sign of the of of where we are today that you had to move things from one device to another to be able to perform these things. I think the Mm -hmm. future is that this stuff just, it doesn't matter where you are or what device you're using. You'd just be able to make Mm. these kind of actions and more, um, like being able to mix voice in with it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, optionally using things like a dial or, um, or other, you know, uh, like a touchpad or whatever to do certain parts of it that you, uh, like scrubbing or whatever and be able to mix and match these things together um is really kind of the future of software interaction really um yeah i i was yeah. i was quite impressed by it um and I, I would say one thing like 
obviously, um, if you were, if you had, if this was on the PC, uh, I don't know because I've not really looked, but if this was on the PC and you were using like a Surface Studio or something like that, you could do all of this stuff. But the thing, the thing that Apple has over Microsoft in that respect is that people are willing to make an application like this for the iPad. Yeah, a very high quality version as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't a do this isn't a company like Adobe that's big and well known for this kind of thing. I don't actually know who they are, but I'd never heard of this application before. Mm. But they're willing to invest in making an application for the iPad and people are willing to use it because it's there and it works. And I think there's a lot of innovation there and I think it's it's a really really good thing. I think it's I think it's really kind of powerful that you can do that kind of stuff. Yeah. So just on that, I feel as though there's this strange thing about the way iOS apps feel and this feels like an iOS app but when an Adobe app comes to the iPad it feels like they've tried to fit that kind of model into something similar to an iPad app but all of the apps I use every single day you know bare notes drafts um omnifocus um uh ferrite and and just all these different apps they feel like iOS apps there's a certain style of like design that they all nail that just feels like an iOS app, where I feel it's very, very powerful, but can be really simplistic. Um, and they just nail it. Whereas I feel, even though Adobe have a lot of expertise in, you know, certain areas like video editing, audio editing, um, photo editing, the way they bring apps to iOS is, is, doesn't seem like the kind of iOS app I like. And Ferrite fits into this iOS app kind of style that all the others do um that means that it just feels like it's more at home than uh you know potentially how audition on the iPad could be and it just feels it just feels like I'm at home it feels like I'm you know I'm on an iPad and it feels more creative to me than those audition apps do because audition is a audition's very very scary uh especially when you're coming to the editing side of things when you're not used to editing audio at all it's 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 wild and this allowed even though some of the settings by default are terrible uh for me it allows you to approach editing in a very friendly nice way and just on the the interaction model kind of stuff that we spoke uh, that you mentioned this is this is incredible to be able to do this and it's a shame. I know that when obviously Windows and, and Microsoft devices have touch support, but there is no Apple device right now. Uh, sorry, there is no Mac right now that allows you to have an interaction model like this. And yeah. I feel as though you know when you when you got when you get an iPad and you before the, the iPad Pros existed and you had you had an iPad and it came with you know a cover and maybe you Bluetoothed a keyboard to it, but it never felt it never felt the same. Like and you just had you had this on-screen keyboard and you could you know touch and touch was the primary interface where you would mostly just clicking around you know pulling to refresh a lot of twitter you know threads or whatever and then when the when they launched the keyboards on the iPads that was a game changer for me uh because it changed the way I used the iPad completely it allowed me to do vast amounts of text input without feeling conscious of you know RSI issues or the terrible on-screen keyboard yeah, t- t- typing on a keyboard is much better than typing on glass. Yeah, and it also they also launched the pencil at that time as well. And the pencil I it it 
it felt like it made a massive change for how I interact with iOS devices to the point where I was using it to more freely, you know, click around things, tap around things and, and, you know, maybe slide some things, but it wasn't, it wasn't an interaction. It wasn't a massive interaction change that I imagined someone who coming to iOS, who was a, a designer, someone who was a, you know, a really talented artist drawing on the iPad. That was probably completely different to how I saw the pencil um originally now being able to use the pencil like i did in this app to swipe things to make edits to audio like yeah. like you were saying being like a second input like another input yeah, device completely changes the way i think about the pencil again mm. and that's a very good thing it's a very very positive thing yeah and unlike a unlike a mouse which you're kind of detached from because i mean we all use mice like that like it's all totally normal right but you're moving something across a, ta- a table, which is moving something across the screen. And there's like a one-to-one movement, like you move up, you, it moves up and so on. But with the pencil, it's in your hand and your hand is doing the same movements that it was doing anyway, but you're holding a thing and, and it's that tip of it that you're, that you're moving across. It's very different um, mm. to a mouse. And, you know, it allows that different kind of, it's like, it's like a separate tool, um, I, I really kind of this this side of of computing fascinates me. Um, so it's, so thank you for you know kind of sharing this stuff. But I think I think we're still so, we're still so far away from enabling everyone to be able to use computers in their own way. You know, so for some people they will want to mix yeah. a mouse and a, and, a, and a turning dial and a switch. I just want to use my brain. Yeah, or, or your brain. That'll that'll happen too. Um, I, yeah, I, I do think that's, that is, you know, joking aside, that is actually one that I think would be, uh, super interesting being able to use your eyes. Like I can totally imagine times where I could review one note while chilling out. If I could just use like, um, like the HoloLens, but the problem is the HoloLens is, is more effort than it seems, but to be able to see, um, to, to be able to see one note in front mm. of your eyes and be able to scroll down the list and look through the notebooks. Uh, without touching anything yeah i guess to 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 wrap up i'm really happy about this change it's it's saving me physical pain and also i think it's going to save me time especially over time as i as i get quicker at this the the last thing i was gonna talk about was that i found i did tweet a little bit about it but i kind of just tweeted about the fact that i'd gone into audition and then i'd moved over to the ipad i didn't say anything about how i was actually editing i didn't show anything and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe doing some kind of screencast, but more, it would have to be like a GoPro sat beside me, watching my hands and my my pencil, how I edited an episode would be beneficial, like a time lapse of how I did that. And I kind of, I've been thinking about, you know, maybe, maybe that's something just for me to do, uh, but maybe some people would enjoy seeing that happen seeing those interactions happen, seeing how I'm doing it to, to help themselves as well. If they're having similar issues, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I could Twitch stream it or, uh, just basically make a time lapse of it. So I guess if you want to see that, then tweet me at Andrew Hathaway, um, on Twitter and I'll, I'll think about making that happen, but, um, that's going to do it for this episode of the Mavis podcast. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go to mavispodcast.com slash 33. You can, uh, Tweet us at Mavis Podcast with any feedback or questions, or email us hello at mavispodcast.com. I'm uh, Andrew Hathaway on Twitter. Julian is at Julian K, and Jordan is at Jordan is on fire. Say goodbye, guys.
Goodbye, guys.